0: No, it's good, it's good, it's good. Um, So uh, Holy Week is obviously the kind of the culmination of the, the church's worship and uh, in it there's just so much to be really absorbed and to understand and comprehend. Um, and the cross, the Good Friday is one of these days that I think just kind of strikes us um, as a day of, of contradictions. Um, it's full of both things. It's full of light and darkness. And when you look at the icon, it's, it's got both of the things in it. It's got light coming out of the darkness. Um, and when you look at the, the story, uh, the story of that day is full of light and darkness. right? You have two soldiers, two, two thieves, right? one on the right, one on the left, and one chooses light and one chooses darkness. And you have soldiers, where one chooses to put a spear in the side of Christ and another one chooses to say truly this was the Son of God and in fact that that soldier later became a Christian, the one who said that and he became a martyr for the name of Christ His the name was Saint William um, And then we see this this you know, dichotomy and even in the disciples right only one chooses to follow Christ and another one betrays him and another one curses and swears that he doesn't know him. and even among the Pharisees we see that you know, Joseph and Nicodemus, they take his body down and they, they put it in, in their tomb. Yet other Pharisees are saying, crucify him, crucify him, and stirring up the crowd. And so we see this light and this darkness. And in fact, even in the tradition of the church, you'll find that on a Good Friday, we do this kind of weird thing where while Jesus is alive, while Jesus alive, we put up black. And then around the 11th hour, when Jesus dies, we take down the black and we put up white. And it's just kind of a, a contradiction. It's just kind of an ironic thing. So which is it? Is it light or is it darkness? Is it white or is it black? And what the church is trying to tell us is it's both, the cross is like that. It's just both light and darkness. Um, and in fact, uh, you know, even during Apocalypse Night, which unfortunately won't celebrate here, but, uh, you know, the, the, the deacons have sort of a, a bipolar thing happening, right? Halfway through the psalm, we sing the first part of the psalm has sad tune, and then we switch to festive tune. And we sing the first half of the gospel, sad, and then we switch to festive, right? Both light and darkness. Um, but let's, let's put a pin in that for a second, uh, the light and darkness, We'll get back to it in a minute. So during the Lent, we heard the story of someone who was born blind. And then the disciples asked him, who sinned? His parents or him? And so you have to ask yourself, why did the disciples ask him that question? They wanted to know somebody sinned. Him or his parents. And it, it's kind of the same questions that you know, most philosophy professors ask you know, on the first day of class. How could a good God do bad things? Right? And it's kind of the same question, right? I mean, clearly it's not God's will that this person be blind. That's a bad thing. So clearly, something bad must have happened. Somebody must have sinned, because a good God wouldn't allow something like this to happen. And so that's the question. Why does a good God allow bad things? Why do we have famines and genocides and wars, as we're reading on the news every day? Um, there's a lot of tough stuff that we see in the world, and, and we always get asked this question, right? And that's, that's the born blind. And, and, and the same story sort of happens with the palsy man, right? He was, he was paralyzed for 38 years. And so you have to ask yourself, did God want him to be paralyzed for 38 years? Did God allow him to be paralyzed for 38 years? Is that God's will? And of course it's very hard and nearly impossible for us to understand what God's will is, how it interacts in my life, how it works. It's, it's kind of a mysterious thing. How does God navigate us and guide us through life and yet allow us to have this free will? that we have, and yet we know that he he guides and moves. And so let's kind of explore this together with the grace of God. The night before the cross on Thursday, Jesus said something interesting. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. He's talking about the cross. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So let's let's think about these, these two things. We have man's will and we have God's will. Talk about them separately. About man's will, it's a very strong thing. In fact, Jesus, when he talked about the cross, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." But look at how he starts. If anyone desires to come after me, it's really your choice. I force no one to do anything. Our acceptance of Christ has to be complete. And it has to be totally our thing. In fact, man's will can stand up to God's will. I can do whatever I want. I can commit sin, I can hurt another person, I can do atrocities, whatever, it's my choice. Right? And it's the only thing that God won't override. And when God created man, he created him with his free will, and God has to live with it. Right? He has to deal with the consequence of his creation. Right? And he started right off the bat, right? Adam, one of the first things Adam does is he breaks God's will with his own will. And we hear the parable of prodigal son, of course, that the son says, "That I want half the money, right? Which is code for, I want the inheritance, which is code for, I kind of wish you weren't around. And then I want to go live with an, you know, a prodigal living. And after hearing that parable, you can't deny that God lets us do whatever we want. And he said, all right, here's the money. Have that? it. It's amazing. Now, what about God's will? God's will little simple. That one's easy. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And that one can be synthesized so simply. And so let's look at Christ's life just for a second. Was it God's will that Jesus be crucified? Of course. Wasn't this the plan from the very beginning of time? The crucifixion was always the plan. Saint Athanasius tells us that it was never plan B. It wasn't that, you know, Adam sinned and then God would say, oh boy, what do I do now? Chaos okay, i my son. No, this was always the plan from the beginning of time, that Christ come and be crucified. And so when we think about this, when we look at the story, you have to ask yourself, but wait, um, how did it happen again? Didn't Judas need to sell him and be greedy? Didn't the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees get jealous? Didn't Pontius Pilate have to order it? Didn't a lot of things have to happen for Jesus to be crucified? So who did it? Wasn't it Judas' greed? Wasn't it the Pharisees' jealousy and hatred and hypocrisy? Wasn't it the chief priest's fear of the Roman wrath? Right? Wasn't it Pontius Pilate worried about another uprising and he wanted to appease the, the crowds and the, and the scribes and the Pharisees? So wasn't it man's will? They did it right. Judas and the chief priests and everybody else, and wasn't it completely their choice? So God's will is love your neighbor as yourself, but those people didn't do that. Judas didn't do that, the Pharisees didn't do that, the Pontius Pilate didn't do that, no one did it. No one did God's will. They all did really bad things. So the interplay here between God's will, which I know, excuse me, between man's will, which you know is completely up to them and their decision, and God's will, it's difficult. It's part of the mystery of living. It's something we just can't really wrap our heads around. And there's a story about St. Anthony. We're not the only ones having trouble with this. So it's a funny story, kind of. When St. Anthony, Abba Anthony, thought about the depths of the judgment of God, he asked, Lord, how is it that some die when they're young, while others drag on to extreme old age? He's asking why people and children die. Why are there those who are poor and those who are rich? Why do wicked men prosper, and why are the just men in need? So he's asking all the questions we asked. Why do good things happen to bad people? Do you know the answer? What God says to him. It's kind of funny. He heard a voice answering him, Anthony, keep your attention on yourself. These things are according to the judgment of God. He said, mind your own business. Let me be God, let me do me, and you do you. And he said, focus on yourself. And so from the earliest days, from the earliest saints, we've had this issue. Why do the good things happen to the bad people? And we've pondered this a long time. And believe me, we all have crosses in our life. Every once in a while, someone will say, oh, you know, that guy's got it easy. That person's life's a piece of cake. You know, she's got a great husband. And no, that's not true. We all have crosses. We all have difficult spouses. We all have... Some difficult children, and some of us have difficult bosses, and some of us have difficult employees, and some of us have diseases, and some of us have children with issues, some of us have real financial trouble. There are lots of crosses, and everyone in this congregation has one, or two, or three. Some of us even have difficult in-laws, I don't, but others do, I've heard. And so how do I, as a Christian, see these things? How do I react to them? And are those God's will for me? Are difficult in-laws God's will for me? Does God will that those people do bad things to me? Is that what God wants? And so here we have to distinguish between the actual deed of someone who is in their own free will, by their own choice, their own decision to do whatever it is they want, and the situation that comes to us from that decision. And here we have to distinguish between the two. So it's never God's will that we hurt one another. It's never God's will that we lie about someone else. But what if someone lies about you at work? What if someone wants to cover themselves, and so they go to the boss and they say, oh, you didn't hear it from me, but this happened and this person did this. And they lie about you. And then you get in a lot of trouble. And then you get fired. How do I process that as a Christian? It's never God's will that someone slander me at work. And that person will be judged based on whatever they did. They did it with their own free will. It wasn't a nice thing to do. And that's between them and God. But here comes the difference. The consequences of that difficult situation, God allowed to happen. That is God's will. God assented to that happening to me. He allowed it. And that situation comes to you from God's hands, even though it looks really bad. In fact, we, we notice this in the story of Job, right? Every time Satan would attack Job, what would he do? He'd ask God, ask God first. He'd get his permission, and God would assent and say, "Go ahead." And he'd ask him something else, and say, "Go ahead," and God let him do those things to Job. God assented. God allowed it. So in some way it was God's will that this happened and in fact God has taken these things that are happening to us into account in our lives from the beginning of time all of the things are allowed and taken into account even you know here in a minute we're going to say in the, the litany's I think it's the second or third litany there's this beautiful phrase who, who through his power arranged the life of man even before his creation. So he arranged our life, every piece of it, before our creation. And so our lives are arranged in some way, in some mysterious way. And God has allowed these challenging things and these crosses to come into our lives, sometimes because of the evil of other people. I mean, sometimes it just falls from the sky. Sometimes it's cancer or a car accident. That was no one's fault. But sometimes someone evil did something bad. And then I I see that thing, and I see the evil person who did the evil thing to me, and I have to say to myself, I have to distinguish from that person and the thing that they did. So God's will is to allow these events that are difficult and painful, and he allowed Judas and the Pharisees and the chief priests and the soldiers to do whatever they wanted, even slap him and do him, and he allowed him to do that. So there was plenty of evil on the day of the cross, and what was Christ's response to all of this evil? To Judas, to the chief priests, to Pontius Pilate, to the soldiers. He could have said, which is probably what I would have said, he said, look, I don't accept the cross. This is not God's will. This is coming from Judas, this is coming from these guys, they're just jealous of me, they don't want to lose you know, their contributions at the temple, and that's, what, that's why this is happening. I do not accept this cross. It is not God's will. It is man's will. and It is an evil will. He could accept said, but he didn't. Let's go back to what we read earlier. Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And so I want to go back to this. All things are possible for you. What's he saying? He said you could stop this. Remove this cup from me. You have the power, but you are assented to it, so not my will, but your will be done. And so for every one of us, we have a bitter cup. Every one of us has a challenge. Everyone has something difficult in their life to deal with. And the Father offers us this cup to drink, and the problem is we have difficulty recognizing that it's coming from God, especially when it comes from other people. One of the spiritual writers says, it's, it was not the Father's will that anyone killed his son, nor did he inspire anyone to kill his son. He did will, however, that Jesus would freely be the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. He willed that Jesus would let himself be put to death. And so what we often miss when we see other people is we often miss the, the most essential part of the trial, assent to it, allow it to happen to us for whatever purpose God has allowed it to happen. Um, So we see this obviously in the life of Aquiles when he was persecuted so many times by so many people, by so many clergy, by other monks, by bishops, and he assented to it. He let it happen. Right? He took it from the hands of God. And why did he handle it patiently? Because when we don't handle it patiently, we don't learn a lesson. We push back. We fight it. And, and this is why people fall into this victim mode, right? We fall into despair, and we fall into anxiety, and we fall into anger, and we fall into bitterness, because all we see are the people behind the things, the people behind the crosses that are in our life. And we, we look at those people and we say, they did this. And so I don't accept it. Right? In Jesus' case, I would say, I don't accept this cross. And so everyone becomes a victim. And then what happens is you, you start to blame and you say, well, you know, I'm like this because my parents are like this. You know, my parents did this to me. That's why I have these problems. And then your parents will say, well, that's because my parents were like too. You know, I got it from my parents. And then we can just keep going down the chain all the way to Adam, right? And people do. They blame Adam all the time. If only Adam hadn't fallen, then none of this would be happening, right? And so we can start blaming and being victimized. And this is sort of the problem with the age of today, right? I mean. We see this all over, especially among the youth. It's all about a victim, victim mode, right? And the reason is that we, we can't disentangle the person from the event. We see the person and not the event that's coming from God. There's a, a story in the, in the book of Samuel about King David. I know I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I, I like the story, so I'll say it again. King David was walking along with an entourage of soldiers around him as, as kings do and this man came out from Saul's family and cursed at him. Right? Now Saul, as you know, was the king before David and he was the one who was trying to kill David and unsuccessfully you know, lost that. So he came out and he cursed him and he even pelted David and the soldiers with stones. Right? Which is sort of the scene from Python. right? You had this king walking with an army and this guy throwing little you know, pebbles at him and cursing him, right? And so the guard turns to his king and he has this great line and he says, why should this dead God curse my Lord, the King? Let me go over and cut his head off. All right, so that's what any good guard would do. He said, let me just go, let me go kill him. And then David has this interesting response. He says, you know, tells him to back off. He says, what does this have to do with you? If he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask why does he do this? So David took this cursing and he attributed it to God. He continues. Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. And so here you see this instance of clear evil, right? This person is cursing and throwing rocks. And he's, he's, by the way, stuff he's saying is just actually wrong. It's actually not accurate. But David says, let him curse. The Lord has told him to curse him. Because I need to learn a lesson. I need that person." So he took it from the hands of God, even cursing So St. Victoria says, creation must be subject to the will of God, and thus, nothing happens without God's permission or outside of his divine will. Thus, everything happens with divine assent and approval. So where does my cross come from? Does it come from my mother-in-law, terrible boss, bad friend? No. God has allowed it, and I must accept that God allowed it and react to it that way. This morning in the, in, the, in the readings from the prophecies from the from Sirach, it says, My child, when you come to serve the Lord, prepare yourself for testing. Set your heart right and be steadfast, and do not be hasty in time of calamity. And then he continues, accept whatever befalls you. And in times of humiliation, be patient, for gold is tested in the fire, and those who found, and those found acceptable in the furnace of humiliation. So now it's my turn. So now it's my turn, thank you. So it's my turn. <laughs> it wouldn't be a servant if I did that. So now it's my turn, right? I have, to, I have to use my own free will. And I have this cross that's coming me that I've now assented to that I said, okay, this is from God. And I have to see the cross and I have to do the right thing. I have to choose the right thing. So do some people see the cross and choose the wrong thing? Yeah, all the time, right? In fact, at the very first cross, it happens. Two thieves, one chose well, and one chose poorly. So let's go back to what we said at the, the very beginning. Is the cross light or darkness? It's both. And who gets to pick if the cross is light or darkness? Mm-hmm. The cross comes and you choose. St. Paul has this beautiful verse where he says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So is the cross foolishness or is it power? Both. And you get to decide: is it black or white, dark or lightness, darkness or light? And so, how do I? How is it that when I face the cross, I choose being humble and patient and meek?" And understanding and compassionate, is very difficult to do. And so where do these fruits of the Holy Spirit come from? His meekness and his patience and all the, the things that I need to accept crosses, right? Because when the crosses come and I look at the people behind the cross and I think they're not worth time of day, it's very difficult at that point to be loving. And so we have to struggle with the cross and we struggle, but God gives it to us. And that's very important. We can only offer struggle. We can't win. And this is something that God teaches us over and over in our life that we can struggle, but he will give the victory. And in fact, that's what we do. We just offer that little bit. There's these little things in the story in the gospel of of, of, of Christ's life that just kind of interesting. Like when he raised Lazarus from the dead. So he's about to go raise Lazarus from the dead. And so what does he do before he does that? He tells the people to move the stone. And you're like, can't you move the stone yourself? I mean, what if in the story it said, and Jesus waved his hand and the stone moved? We wouldn't think anything of it, right? I mean, he calmed the storms and he you know, did all, he walked on water and all this stuff, right? We wouldn't think anything of it. But he didn't. He said, I want you guys to move the stone. I want you to take a little bit of this story. I want you to be a participant here, right? And I'm sure those guys after Lazarus, you know, rose from the dead, they're like, yeah, you know, I was the guy who moved the stone, by the way, you know, the other guys weren't that strong, right? I pushed the harvest, right? so he wanted them to have a piece of the story, right? He wanted them to offer their five loaves so that he could bless it, right, and he could raise the dead, and all you have to do is move the stone. And so St. John Cassian in this, in this very famous, you know, the 13th conference where he talks about man's will and God's will and how they, the mix happens, he says, look, if we want to get these fruits of the Holy Spirit, he talked about a farmer. Right, I'll read you what he says. He says, for it is foolish if, when, for example, we see a farmer taking the utmost pains over the cultivation of the ground, that we do not ascribe the fruits to his exertions. Right, so we say, look, when we see a farmer working really hard, and then we have a bunch of strawberries or bananas, right, we can easily say the farmer worked really hard, and that's why he got all these fruits. So clearly the farmer did work, but now the farmer has to recognize that he didn't do it alone. St. John Cassand continues, for neither can the farmer, when he has worked hard in cultivating the ground, immediately ascribe the produce of the crops and the rich fruits to his own exertions, as he finds that they are often in vain unless opportune rains and a quiet and calm winter aids them. So he's basically saying the farmer has to then recognize that no matter how hard I work, unless there's rain, I'm not gonna have a crop. And unless the winter is kind to me and the weather is right at the right time and I get sunshine at the right time, I'm not gonna have a crop. So the farmer knows that no matter what I do, unless God pitches in and the rain comes and the weather helps, I'm not gonna have any fruits. And so that becomes that mixture that we're looking for. Right? I work, I cultivate, I toil. And God sends the rain, and He sends the sun, and He sends the weather that helps you. And so, as we face these crosses in our life, the easiest way—the easiest way—to take the cross, to take this, this path of victory in the cross, to choose light and not darkness, and not choose despair and depression and victimization and blaming others and becoming bitter. We just have to take that first step. We just have to take that first step. Offer the five loaves, move the stone, or whatever it is, whatever the case may be. And so one thing that helps us is it's true that many of the things that we look at don't look like they're good things. And some look like they're inconsistent with the goodness of God. I mean, you just look at the war in, in Ukraine right now and it's, it's not you know, hard to see. <clears throat> And looking at what the chief priests and the Pharisees did and what Judas did. And even if the event seems like evil to us, this is just our perception. Just as getting a shot is at the doctor. Right? You would imagine a, a two-year-old or a three-year-old at the doctor's office, and they're getting a vaccine, right? and then this strange man takes his very pointy needle and sticks it in the kid's arm. Right? And I'm sure the little boy looks up at his dad and says, you're going to punch this guy out. And then what does that do? That holds him down tighter, right? says, don't move. And you're like, this is just not what I expected. And so in the same way, sometimes God gives us shots and they hurt, and we think immediately, I'm gonna scream to God and say, hey, God, can you stop the shot, right? This is the first thing we do when we get a cross. We pray for no cross, right? As soon as something bad happens, we say, God, please take that away. And we look to our Father, and then what does dad do? He holds us down, and he says, no, stand still. It's gonna hurt for a while, but just, you know, let's get over this, right? And and, and what helps us is realizing that it's for our own good, right? That this, this pain, even though I may not see anything from it, or it's not like, well, you know, I got denied at this school because a better school is coming down the road. No, maybe a better school isn't coming down the road. Maybe it's just you got denied now you have to sit at that and learn some humility. And maybe that's exactly the shot that you need. So sometimes what we think is bad isn't. And think what's good for me you know, actually is good for me. And it's just our perception. Right? So I want to end with this, this uh, letter. When Akronis read it to us years ago, put me in tears. This was from me. It's a famous letter written by a guy named Saint Seraphim. He wrote it to a spiritual child, a bishop, who was in a Soviet prison at the time. So his life wasn't great. And it was written as a letter of consolation. And it addresses, it's addressed to the soul of man. It says, this is what this was for me. Have you ever thought that everything that concerns you concerns me also? You are precious in my eyes and I love you. For this reason, it is a special joy for me to train you. When temptations and the opponent, the evil one, come upon you like a river, I want you to know that this was for me. I want you to know that when you are in difficult conditions among people who do not understand you and cast you away, this was for me. I am your God. The circumstances of your life are in my hands. You do not end up in your position by chance. This is precisely the position I have appointed for you. Your environment and those who are around you are performing my will. you have financial difficulties and can just barely survive? Know that this was from me. Have you ever spent the night in suffering? Did your friend or someone to whom you opened your heart deceive you? Your plans were destroyed, your soul yielded, and you were exhausted? This is from me. Unexpected failures found you and despair overcame your heart? Serious illness found you, which may be healed, or may be incurable, and has nailed you to your bed? This was for me. You were dreaming about doing something special for me, and instead of doing it, you fell into a bed of pain. Remember always that every difficulty that you come across, every offensive word, every slander and criticism, every obstacle to your work which could cause frustration and disappointment, this is for me. No one always remember, no matter where you are, that whatsoever hurts will be dulled as soon as you learn in all things. To look at me. Everything has been sent to you by me for the perfection of your soul. All things were for me. May the Lord grant us a, a blessed week as we move toward the cross and we, we see our Lord's passion and our Lord's acceptance of the divine will